Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture is from Exodus chapter 7, verse 14 through 18, and chapter 10, verse 21 through 29. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. When the staff that is in my, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the sky, so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock, too, must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God, and until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, Get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. Thank you, Hudson. And, um, Thank you again for the youth serving today uh, and Noel um, encouraging all of us to, if we have a a heart for, to serve for our kids and our youth, Lauren and Noel would love that for us to be a family, to to pitch in and and participate. There's a lot of uh, love and care to go around for for everybody. And we invite you all to to be part of that. We've been going through a series on the book of Exodus the past couple weeks, and the reason why is because we are a culture that loves freedom. We personally, individually, also love freedom. And yet, before we can ask how to be free, before we can ask how to get it, we, first have, to, we have to first answer the question, what is it? What is it for? What is freedom? What is the goal of Freedom. We can't ask the how about something until we first ask what it actually is. And the two passages that are printed in your bulletin are the passages that depict the first and the ninth plague that I think shows us what freedom is in the book of Exodus. And so let's see three things here. One, what you need freed from. Two, what you're freed to. And then, thirdly, how they 
all both come together. I'll say it again. What are we freed from? What are we freed to? And then how do they come together? So first, what are we freed from? Last week we saw that Moses gets a call in the wilderness in Exodus 3 to go on mission for the Lord. And by Exodus 5, two chapters later, he is then at Pharaoh's palace in Egypt. And it's there that he utters his, the famous phrase, let my people go. Shocker, spoiler alert, Pharaoh doesn't let the people go. And what happens after that is God then sends a series of not one, not two, but ten plagues to Pharaoh to reveal something to him. And this is important here. It was not just to be bland acts of power, right? People think, oh, these were just miracles to show, you know, God's power. But if, if that was the case, there was better miracles to do, right? God could have given Moses the ability to have laser beams in his fingers. He could have uh, dropped an atom bomb. He could have showed up with 10,000 angels. You know, if he showed up with 10,000 angels, Pharaoh would have been freaked out. But that wasn't the main purpose of the plagues. The plagues were designed to show Pharaoh, among other things, how he was enslaved to the Egyptian gods and to compare and contrast those Christian gods' power with the God of the Bible. You say, well, where, where do you see that? Well, the first plague that's right here, look at verses 17 and 18 that gets, gets more specific. The first plague was changing the water of the Nile into blood. Look what it says. It says, the fish in the Nile will die. This is verse 18. The river will stink, and the Egyptians will not be able to drink the water. When we read that, we, we read that scientifically as a matter of fact. But that wasn't what was trying to be communicated. The Nile was the lifeblood of Egypt. Today, right now, 95% of Egyptians live a short distance from the Nile. It was the center of their culture. It was how they transported goods. It was how they ate and drank. When it flooded, it would flood the surrounding area, and that was how they were able to raise crops. And they, it was so important to them that they worshipped it. They, there was a god of the Nile. And they sacrificed it, and so they deified it. And so this is Yahweh saying, I'm going to bloody what you care about. I'm going to take away what you think that you need by turning the Nile into blood. And now before you go on and say, well, that was, that's silly for, that, for the Egyptians to have uh, deified the Nile. It's silly for them to have worshipped and to sacrifice to it. I'd like us to like, turn this on to ourselves for a second. And what we've done with the things of our life. What have we idolized? What have we held up? What have we deified in our lives? And I would, I would argue in our culture, it's this narrative of freedom from. Philosopher Isaiah Berlin calls it negative freedom. It's that concept that you hear over and over and over again. You do you. You know, be what you want. Do whatever you want in the world as long as it doesn't harm or hurt other people. That phrase is etched into the very narrative and fabric of our culture, but it's, called, it's basically freedom from. It's the negative freedom from constraint, from what we think is oppressive. So think about it. Why do you spend so many parts of your day working for money? It's because you want freedom from having to pay your rent bill and 400% markups at Starbucks or whatever else you want to put your money to, but you want freedom from. Why do we spend so much time needing the approval of others? 
It's because we want freedom at some level of feeling alone, of feeling like we're going to be taken care of. Why do we spend so much effort on, on getting comfort and control and beauty and, and experiences? It's because we think at some level they're going to free us. And yet what we're unawares of is that they're actually binding us. That your, your God might not be the God of the Nile, but what we devote our time and our energy, what we think will bring us freedom, what we're sinking our, our what we're, we're doing traditions and actions on, we're sinking our time into, is what we think will free us from our problems, but really they're shackling us. And so God sends a, a plague to Pharaoh and to you at times to show you that those things don't work. Every plague that's in the Bible here takes, in this text, takes something good away that Pharaoh thought he needed. So for instance, the livestock, there's a plague on the livestock and hail takes it away. It's a good thing, but he had made ultimate. Uh, the crops, a good thing, but he had made ultimate. Light was a good thing and he made ultimate. How, you say, how, how can light be made ultimate? Well, as you, if you know Egyptian mythology, the, Ra, the, the god of light, that Pharaoh supposedly was the son of, was, again, something they deified, that they worshipped. And they took it away through the plague of darkness. What might the Lord be taking away from you right now, maybe via a plague, to try to wake you up? That's what I want us to ask. What might you think will bring you freedom, but it won't, and it can't, not fully? What is it the thing that we think will bring freedom or that, that we say, if I just get this, oh, I'm reaching and I'm striving for, but it's actually the process that, that you're in is enslaving you. And if you ever got it, it would enslave you too. Will we see this? See, you might not think that you have a God in your life, but I would argue that worship is just bestowing worth on something. That's where the, even the old English word worship comes from, worth-ship. And so worship, for you, might not be bowing down to the sun god Ra, but you bow down to your resume and trying to build it. Maybe you're not uh, groveling before the god of the Nile, but maybe you're groveling before your job or before trying to get, make sure that your kids turn out well or making sure that you're looked on favorably or what you look like or what you're, how other people think of you. And I think what, the, what is trying to be told to us here is that you can't get freedom from oppression if you're not aware of what you're really bound to, or what you're, what's really op oppressing you. And it's not just bad things. See, bad things, for most of you, uh, culture knows bad things, that's why they're labeled bad, are probably not healthy and good for you. The problem usually is good things that we've made ultimate. And that's how they're sneaky. They hide in plain sight. Maybe they're even validated. A, a, a hardworking personality, somebody who strives, somebody who uh, loves other people. You can look good on the outside, but inside you have been bound to that. And that's our fundamental problem, that we need freedom from. I, we need to identify the gods and the idols in our life that are good things that we made ultimate. Okay, number one, that's what you need to be freed from. Number two, fine. What do you need to be freed to? What does that look like? To, the goal of freedom in Exodus and in your life is not just freedom from, and this is where I, I, I would disagree with our culture, is that our culture is disingenuous when it says that all you need is to be freed from something. That's how it defines freedom. 
But, there, but I, I think implicitly, intuitively, we all get that's actually not how it works. That, for instance, if you want freedom from an unhealthy body, you have to bind yourself to sleep in a certain way and eat in a certain way and, um, and exercise in a certain way. You can't say, I want freedom from all restraints. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to eat brownies and grape soda every day. Guess what? If you eat brownies and grape soda every day, all day long, you're going to bind yourself to dying early. You're going to bind yourself to other problems in your life. And so don't try that at home. And hopefully we can see the, this point that if you want to be freed to have a job one day, you have to bind yourself to developing a trade or a skill or going to college at some level. There's no such thing as ultimate, real, free from every single constraint in the world. That's just not true. So I personally like the freedom my bike brings. I like to go around the bike. I've, I've ridden my bike since I was a kid in New York City. Been hit by uh, taxis three times. Um, still here. I love my bike, but I can't have the freedom of riding my bike if I don't, you know, blow up the tires, uh, check the brakes, make sure those work, to, to, to keep it running well. So another way, another way to put this would be that our problem is that our culture defies freedom as only freedom from. But real freedom is you can only get some freedoms if you give up other freedoms. I'll say it again. You can only have some freedoms. Real world life, you get this. It, you can only have some freedoms if you give up other freedoms. So, for instance, if you want the freedom to watch Netflix all day long at home, you can have that. But you're going to give up the freedom of being able to keep a job. <laughs> or if you want to have the freedom that a job brings in your life, you're going to have to give up the freedom of being able to watch Netflix all the time. It's one or the other. And I, I would argue every day we have micro-choices. Our lives are filled with choices of denying some freedoms and accepting other ones. Or put it a different way, we decide what freedoms to give up and what freedoms to, to get. So look at Moses here in verse 16. When Moses shows up to Pharaoh, God says, Speak on behalf of me and say this, Let my people go. We already said that, but that's, that's the famous part. But we never read the second part. Let my people go so that they may worship me in the, in the wilderness. Freed so that every time God says, let my people go, it is always, in the Bible, connected to so that. So that they may worship me. Moses says this not once or twice, by the way. He says this to Pharaoh seven times so this can sink in. Because God knows real freedom is not just freedom from, it's freedom to. Why? Because the world has a created order. There is a design with how to live. And we don't live within that design, we get breakdown. Drink as much alcohol as you want freely, and you will freely lose your liver one day. Right? That's a natural consequence. But natural consequences, I think, are actually etched into the world to show us that there actually is an order in the world. If you lie to other people, what happens? You get lied to. If you betray other people, you get betrayed. If you drive a car into a lake, that's not going to work anymore because the manual says so. It's not how it was made. I dare anybody in this room, go to Ikea. There's a couple of Ikeas around here. Buy one of those giant shelving apparatuses or drawers or, you know, um, and, and, and the manual is like this thick. Throw the manual away. Try to build it. It won't work. 
every little piece is designed to fit in precisely the right way, and if you don't, it falls apart. We have um, a couple of Lego, Hogwarts Lego spaces in our, in our, um, in our apartment where we've built like Hogwarts, but the, the manual that comes with the Legos, which are multiple pieces, like a thousand pages, because it's asking you to build things in a particular way so that you get the design, to, so that you get what it's supposed to be. And that's why I'm like, is it that hard for us to really see that we have a created order too? That you have a manual. I know our culture doesn't want to say that because it thinks, oh, that's going to oppress you. But our culture does understand that you have a manual for your physical bodies, does it not? Our culture will tell you, you there are some things you should eat and some things you shouldn't eat. There are some things that you should put in your body, some things that you can't. That's a manual. And you're, by the way, the world will tell you that there's a manual for your mental health too. That there is a right level of chemical balance in your mind. There, there is a right level for relationships so that you won't be lonely and isolated. There's a right level for processing trauma and hurt. That's a manual. So is it that, if we know, if culture will tell us there's a manual for your bodies, there's a manual for your mind, is it that hard to believe there might, maybe there's a manual, there's an overarching manual, that there might be a manual for your spiritual life, for, how, for us, to, how to live? And if that's true, then here's the only question we really should be asking here. It isn't just culture says, you know, and is lying to you, it's freedom from. No, we already know that's impossible to only have that. The real question to ask yourself is this. What are the things I should bind myself to have really freedom to? Or, or put it a different way. What things should I put myself under or put myself in to re have real freedom? Real liberation. Real connection. And the answer is, it depends on what you're designed for. Now, good, the good news is, the text tells us. See, look, look down on the text. God says, look again, let my people go, what? So that they may worship me. Now, side note. This doesn't mean that, that God doesn't care about livestock or family life or friendships or jewels and money. In fact, later on in our text, it, Moses very clearly says, what about the livestock? They matter. And when Moses leads the people out, he takes the livestock, the gold, and the jewels. That's, it's important. When you think worship, people think, oh, this is pie in the sky. God wants me to only do that. No, no, no. He wants you to firstly worship him, to put things in the right order. And because if, he, if you do, then everything's ordered in the right space. He's reordering our loves. So first should not be livestock, rivers, light, comfort, or, or comfort, power, approval, those, those things shouldn't be first. They're important, but they can't be first. And you want to know, okay, you say, what's the test? How do you know if I'm actually doing this? Here's the test. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. The test is this. Are you, maybe not always, are you able to have real joy about who you are and the situation God put you in and how you were made and where you are in, in, in time and space? 
I'm not saying, let me, let me be clear, I'm not saying there's not hurt and hardship. I'm not saying there's not real deep wounds out there. I'm saying, can you still at times have joy despite all that? Best example I can give you of this is uh, the old Oscar-winning uh, film, Chariots of Fire, which is, it's a masterpiece. It's, it, you know, it's from the 70s, so it's like synthesizers are, is, the, is the musical score. But there's a, there's a lot of themes, but one of the themes is a contrast between a man named Harold who, when um, he's running to, to win the Olympics in his event, and when asked, why do you run, this is what he says. He says, why am I running? I have 10 seconds every time, every day I run to justify my existence. And that's contrast, you're contrasted his life with the life of Eric Little. Eric Little s- speaks to his sister about being a missionary in China uh, he's a Christian, this, um, and this is what he says. He says, I believe God made me for China. See, I know I have things I have to do. I do want to be a missionary, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And I looked this up this week, true story. Uh, uh, eyewitnesses say many times at the end of his runs, he would stick his head up and smile and throw his arms out as if he was celebrating, as if he was partaking in the fact that God had made him fast and that he, it, he felt the Lord's pleasure in that moment. Was there adversity in his life? Sure. Was there hardship? Sure. But he rooted his daily life in putting his Lord first, and that brought freedom and joy. Is that you? Does that characterize your life? It, it, you know, uh, one person ran because he was trying to be justified. The other person ran because he knew that he was justified by his Lord. And I'd like us to just do a deep think. I, I think you need to do this every day and ask yourself, how am I built? Who am I made for? What am I made to do? A watch is built for time, not for hammering, hammering a nail. A fish is built for water, not to be out of the water. If you were built to get out of relationships quickly, if you were built to have no constraints, then why are we so miserable and getting more miserable every time we do that? The past couple of years, a lot of people have moved out of the city because of the pandemic. And as friends, I would ask them, say, why are you moving out of the city? And they would always say the same thing. They would say, well, during the pandemic, I was in my small little space, my little apartment. I was sad and lonely. And I thought if I just move out and I get a big space and, 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 and you know, fresh air, I'll be happy. But then I've asked a lot of people who've moved into the city since the pandemic. I said, why are you here? And they say, well... It was the pandemic, so I was sad and lonely in my really big house. <laughs> and I thought if I, if I moved into the city where there was a lot of people, I would be happy. And so I call it the great switcheroo, because everybody had two thin relationships, and they thought the solution was switching spaces, when probably if we went deeper down into the relationships, which I'm asking us to do, I'm asking you not to just think of this place as a transactional um, city where I'm here for a little while and then I'm out. I'm asking you to say, no, I'm going to put down roots and be here and, and be present and, and make these relationships because that's how you were made. You were made for relationships in general, but you were particularly made for relationships with him. And you will most get freedom when you bind yourself. We just said that. And there's nothing more freeing than to bind yourself to the, the God of the universe. And maybe he didn't make you fast like Eric Little, but maybe he made you hosp- hospitable. Maybe he made you kind. Made you, maybe he made you available. And that's what you have to offer, that you actually have time and, and availability. I don't know what it is. 
we're so busy trying to get joy, we don't realize there's so much joy in just sitting in the space of our givenness and the fact that we can't do everything, that we're our limits. There is only 24 hours in a day. And I think that's the secret, to bind yourself to him. It will bring you more freedom than anything else. And my question before we move on is this, will you? Will you do that? You can't do it if he's number 10 on your list, if he's just sort of a supplement to all your other things you're trying to get. You, you can't get it if you're just trying to, uh, you know, uh, come to him when you need him. Come to him when you, don't, when, you, when you feel up for it. No, he has to be at the very center of who you, you are to animate everything else. That is what you're freed to. Okay, fine, last point. How does this freedom from and to come together? Woody Allen uh, famously says that uh, when asked how he justified his affair with his then uh, adopted daughter, he says, listen, the heart wants what it wants. And I find that really a fascinating answer because I think there's a worry for us. Like, how do we know that we can really be freed from things? How do we know that at some level— we're not, our hearts aren't just going to chase whatever we want, the power, approval, comfort, and control. Where, where, how do we get real freedom? And I think the answer is back with Moses. Isn't it interesting that at the very river where Pharaoh had an idol, that's where God meets him. And at the very center of all the other spaces that he was overvaluing things, God meets him. Why does God tend to go into the places where we're most over-relying on someone or something? 18th century Jonathan Edwards the preacher said this. He, he, he kept a notebook on Scripture, and when he got to this text, he said this. May it be observed that one of the most, the first miracle that Moses wrought was turning water into blood, but the first miracle of our Lord Jesus wrought turning water into wine. In other words, Moses came to show Pharaoh what he needed freedom from, but Jesus shows us what we get freedom to. Water into wine is a party. Water into wine is a miracle of joy and satisfaction. And what I think is beautiful is the plagues were many things, but at one level, you need to notice, they were ways for God, through Moses, pleading with Pharaoh to come back to him. And not once, not twice, but over and over and over again. And I think that's beautiful. How merciful is our Lord that he would come to the one who's oppressing his people and offer him mercy. But then it actually asks you, it brings up a question. Wait a second, he's not the chosen people. How can God offer that mercy? How can God offer love to one who is doing harm? And the riddle is not solved in our text, but the blood of the Nile points forward. The darkness for three days here points forward to Jesus and what he experienced. If you fast forward thousands of years later from this moment, Jesus on the cross, when he dies— it says darkness covered the land for three days. And I, and I think the plague is a sign of the unraveling of creation that, that sin causes. That when Jesus died, the darkness, the hurt, the brokenness, the hail, the storms, the earthquake, the lightning, that's all a sign of the unraveling of creation that he gets and experiences. Of course, death is the ultimate version of unraveling. And Jesus gets that, right? When he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the ultimate version of feeling that forsakenness. And that means this. All the plagues that were signs, Jesus experiences. The creator in that moment gets decreated so that you and I can have recreation. 
right? He won our freedom by losing his. The, the most, and that, that, this is where I was, uh, this has been blowing my mind all week. The most freeing thing in the world right now in the universe is that Jesus lost his freedom. And so when you accept that into the center of your life, then you get that freedom. When we try to fill, he emptied himself. When, when uh, we, we get, we're trying to get, but he gave. And now we get the river of life, not the stinking Nile. We get, we get the light, not the darkness. And it's when we therefore see him and how he loves us, we can turn around and love other people. Only when we get that, I think, it changes us. And so let me just try to make this really applicable. Go down deeper. When you stay mad at somebody because they hurt you, when you don't forgive, when you stay in a rut, when you stay in that funk in your life, it's because at some level you're saying to yourself and maybe to the world, I need to get. I have to, I'm not getting what I need to get. But that's what's so beautiful here is that right here is saying, I've been given through Jesus Christ and now I want to give. And that's what really makes you free. Free from needing in using, right? You don't need power. You don't need people, places, and things anymore to get. You can, those are now spaces to give. I want, the last thing I want to say is this. Go back to our nature. Uh, travel writer, surprisingly, travel writer Bill Bryson ha- write, wrote a book about our bodies, and this, is what, this was his exploration. He said, every second of every day, your body undertakes a literal, unquantifiable number of tasks, a quadrillion, a nonillion, of tasks without requiring an instant of your attention, which is just amazing to think about. Then he says, altogether, it takes seven billion, billion, billion atoms to make you, you. For the length of your existence, they will build and maintain countless systems and structures that keep you humming along, again, to make you, you. And, that, and that's a much bigger job than you realize, because if you unpacked yourself, you are sizably enormous. Your lungs smoothed out over uh, a space is the size of a tennis court. And if you took every single airway within your lungs, they would stretch from one coast of America to the other. The length of your blood vessels would take you two and a half times around the earth. This is, I didn't know this, but in your, D, your DNA, every cell has a copy of your DNA, and if you stretched it out, it would be about a meter long. And so if you took every stretched out piece of your DNA and you stick it from end to end, it would stretch 10 billion miles beyond Pluto. Think of it. This is what, how he says it. Because there is enough of you to leave the solar system. You are, in the most literal sense, cosmic. And what I love about that is this. If that's true, that's your design, every human body is cosmic, that the stuff of you is literally too big to be contained. What does that mean? Well, if you were designed and you were made in God's image, then of course you're cosmic. He he is too. And the awe of seeing yourself should point to the awe of seeing him, and that awe should bring us right back to the cross and say, how amazing is it that he gave it all up for us, all that cosmic power, all that cosmic size. And so when you're feeling most stuck, there's nothing more freeing now than seeing his love. And there is no better way to know of his love than seeing him who lost all his freedoms willingly, lovingly for you. You know why? Because when he lost those freedoms, it was okay because he was binding himself to someone else, you. And that was more freeing to him. And it's more freeing to him. Guess what? It's going to be more freeing to you when you bind yourself back. And so, yes, I do believe our culture has part of the answer you do need freedom from. 
I, you do. But you also need freedom too. And you need to realize that often what you think is going to give you freedom from is actually binding you. So bind yourself to him. Put it all together. And we would have real freedom. That's real freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray we would cling to this. I pray that we would put ourselves into your love. I pray this would change us and move us and remake us. I pray that uh, we would see, see the cosmic nature of who we are and it would move us profoundly. That when we hear, oh, you're made in God's image, you say, I don't see that, I don't understand that. But when we see ourselves stretched out and we know we're made in your image, then we say, oh, okay, now I see, myself. I see how I'm made in, in his image. We see our image in Jesus, but we see it in you. We see it in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray that you come into our life. We pray that you will move us and shake us out of the malaise of all the things that we're trying to do right now that are seeking freedom in the wrong places. Help us to seek freedom in you, Father. Our culture is partly right. We need freedom. But it only comes complete in you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.